Welcome to First Hamilton CRC Sermon Podcast. My name is Chris Schoon. I serve as the lead pastor here at First Hamilton. We are delighted that you are listening in. We hope and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you as you seek to know and follow Jesus Christ. This morning, our scripture reading is from two different sections of the book of Romans. The first part is on can be found on page 1757, and that's Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. And then we'll be skipping over to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is a handful of pages over. So starting at Romans 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Jumping to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joel. There's a few times in my life that stick out because of the view. I can remember going to Budapest, Hungary when I was 18 and spending a couple weeks there doing street evangelism and learning about how to engage with people from different cultures. And while we were there, that last night, I sat along the palace wall overlooking much of the city. And as I sat there, that view of the city, God did something through it. And that's the moment I look back on and go, I know I was being called into a lifetime of ministry and working with churches and with other ministers. Something in that moment in the view of that city is just ingrained in my eyes and it began to alter the way I lived. I can recall another view and it was at Ancaster CRC actually, July 1st, 1995. And I was standing up front and Henny walked down the aisle towards me. And that view, that moment of seeing her come through the back of the sanctuary and walk towards the front, as one of my mentors said, that's the moment you realize you're being called to die to yourself. (laughs) It's a good and right word. (laughs) You enter into this marriage covenant and it is a, a beautiful gift from God. And as I've entered in, I've begun to realize that that commitment and that view of Henny begins to change everything. My schedule changes, my spending habits need to change. All those things are changed because of of seeing her and the commitments we made. That schedule change and that life change happened probably even more emphatically as each of our kids were born. 
And the view of a child coming into your arms and into your home and into your life and suddenly even your sleep patterns aren't your own. (laughs) A few of you could be saying amen right now. You begin to realize that your life really is not your own and these commitments, these views of, of other people and of other situations, this presence and awareness that there is something greater than yourself in life begins to alter everything about you. My kids still alter my life (laughs) in good ways, guys. (laughs) But it is a recognition that everything needs to change. How much more so then when we hear Paul start off this passage, chapter 12, with, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's Mercy. Over the last uh, four weeks, we have been talking about God's will and and exploring what's God's will for us as a post-resurrection people, people living on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been asking ourselves, how do we we even begin to figure out what God's will is and how do we enter into it? And, And this passage, both of these passages speak about God's will. The Romans 12 one that we'll start with talks about God's will being something that we we learn and begin to understand as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices and have our minds renewed and transformed. And then the Romans 8 one talks about how the Spirit is interceding for us even when we don't know what to pray. Even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit is interceding for God's people according to to God's will. Both passages talking about God's will. And together they give us a shape for how we are called to live as God's people. That first full sentence in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, Two things from this passage for us really to pay attention to. The first is offer your bodies. And we don't see it in the English because we don't have a plural you in the English. It would be better translated so we could understand it. Offer all y'all's bodies. It's that plural all of you. Offer your bodies. But then it does something unique. It switches over to a singular living sacrifice. All of us are called to offer our bodies, but it becomes a singular living sacrifice as we do. It's not like I have to say, Bill, you go offer yourself as a living sacrifice over there somewhere, and Jerry, you and Mary go off that way and offer it somewhere over there by yourselves, and never the twain shall meet. This is actually saying, as we come together in view of God's mercy, we are brought together. All of us separate people are brought together as one. And the way we live becomes a sacrifice to God, a singular sacrifice. Paul is drawing us to the central aspect of the unity of God's people in response to seeing Christ's death and resurrection. We are a unified people. We are people who, as we live together, as we do life together, as we learn to walk with each other, our lives, our communal life together 
becomes a living sacrifice to God. A singular living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. The idea in the Old Testament, holy and pleasing sacrifices, were ones where people confessed their sin. They acknowledged the ways that their lives did not yet live up to what God had called them to. And it became a sacrifice where there was a pleasing aroma. That phrase, pleasing aroma, comes up several times. God would smell the pleasing aroma of their sacrifices and their sins would be forgiven. But it's a living sacrifice. One of the commentators made mention that, that it's really unique to have this phrase, living sacrifice, because in the Old Testament, what you did was you took someone else's body, a, a creature, an animal, and you put it on an altar and you killed something else. Something else had to die for our sins. But Christ put his body on the cross. Christ offered his body up as a sacrifice for us. And because Christ did that, it's no longer an offering of something else. It becomes an offering of ourselves, not unto death, but unto life. We become not a sacrifice to pay for sins. We become a sacrifice to live in thanksgiving. A sacrifice that is living in response together as a community of God's people. In response to God's great sacrifice in Jesus Christ that paid for our sins. The other part of that phrase is a true act of worship. And this is your true act of worship. You know what we do in here is actually nurturing our worship. Sometimes we talk about it as we gather for worship, and there is an element of that, that this is us praising God together. But it is such a small piece of our worship. This text is talking about our lives, our life together as God's people, not just in this hour and a half that we're here on Sunday mornings, but our life together throughout the week as being a living sacrifice that is really our act of worship. So do we worship God on Sunday morning? Yes. We worship God when we have occasional liturgical services like Ascension Day? Yes, we do. But even more so, we as God's people, as one people together, worship God by the way we live together throughout the week. In some sense, we almost have to take the doors off the building so that we can begin to visualize that the worship is not contained in this room. Our worship as God's people has to do with the way we live together throughout the week. Put some challenges on us. We worship God as we remember those who are shut in and can't worship with us here on Sunday morning. As we send them thank you notes and notes of encouragement as we go to visit them. Mira named several of them in her prayer this morning. We worship God when we show up at each other's houses with meals for those who are in times of need and struggling or we help out with childcare. That is an act of worship. We worship God as we give to the benevolence offering and we, we empower the deacons to go out and meet financial needs in our church and in our community. We worship God when we show up at each other's kids' and grandkids' sporting events and academic things. When we show up at schools like Calvin Christian School on a Saturday morning for an early pancake breakfast and we build community together. 
We worship God when we visit each other in each other's places of work and we encourage each other and take an interest in one another as we contribute to the well-being of the common good around us. We worship God as we do life together. If we think being church is just about coming here and making sure we meet a budget that can put lights on and pay for staff, we have a very small view of worship and a very, very anemic view of what it means to be God's people. We are called through this text to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, one communal living sacrifice that together, all of us in caring for each other, begin to to worship God, not just on Sunday mornings, but in the way we live throughout the week. I don't know about you, but that's a bit daunting. (laughs) It means my spending has to change. What good things will I say no to in order to say yes to people in this community, to coming alongside others in this congregation? It means my calendar has to change. What good things will I say no to on my schedule, good and right and enjoyable things, so that I can say yes to other people in this church, building relationships with them, spending time with them, being lavish with my gift and resource of time, so that others, together, we can experience the love of God as we build community together. What good things? I can't answer that question for you. I I wish I could sit down and say, okay, Don, this is what it looks like for you. Nella, this is what it looks like for you. I, I can't do that. But each of us are called in response to this text to pay attention and ask those type of questions. How are we going to be the body of Christ together? How are we going to become a living sacrifice together? How are we going to do that? And what's going to be my part and your part in that? The task in front of us, the calling to be God's people, to worship God day in and day out with the rhythm of our lives as a community of God's people is so challenging, in fact, that we can't do it on our own. We really can't. We could add another 10 ministers and we still couldn't do it. The real calling and the real challenge is something that God spoke of, that Jesus spoke of as he was ascending to heaven. And he said, stay in Jerusalem and wait a little while because I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered to be my witnesses in Judea, in in Jerusalem, in the place where you're at right now. And in Judea, the place where you often move around, in Samaria, that place you like to avoid. And to the ends of the earth, the places you haven't even imagined yet. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You, you people who have been gathered in my name will be equipped with the Holy Spirit and sent out in places that you don't even know and understand and imagine you can't conceive of. But I will empower you so that you can be faithful in those places. So we need the Holy Spirit. And if we listen to that text from Romans 8, Verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
Spirit is sent to help us in those times where we, we don't even know how to praise God. We don't know how to love our neighbor. We don't know how to love the person sitting in the pew next to us, whether we're related to them or not. The Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to make room in our schedules or in our budgets to sacrifice for others. The Spirit helps us when we are caught up in ourselves so much that we can't even hear this word. When we are weak, He is strong. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I think that's the beautiful thing in all of this. That we're being ushered into this life of the Spirit as God's people to become a Pentecostal people filled with the Holy Spirit in our life together, not just on Sunday morning and in exuberant or quiet worship, in in worship that feels chaotic or worship that feels very stoic. It doesn't matter in this space. What begins to matter is how we live out that calling outside of this space. And God says, I got you. I'm with you. I'm giving you my spirit to empower you and to equip you and to fill you so that you are transformed. Even in your weakest moments, you are transformed so that the love of Christ shines forth in all that you say and do. So that your relationships overflow with the grace of God. So that the fruit of the spirit that you struggle with, whether it's patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, or self-control. It doesn't matter what those places where we struggle most, the spirit will intercede for us according to God's will. And so we enter this not with heaviness, but with a joy. A joy of becoming God's people together. A joy of doing life together beyond these walls. A joy of seeing God at work doing unimaginable things in our midst. Not because we're faithful, but because he is faithful. And in his faithfulness, in God's faithfulness, he gives us the spirit that we might become faithful by his grace. So this morning... I invite us to enter into a space of not only thanksgiving in this great view of God's mercy, of what he has done through Christ on the cross and in the resurrection, but in the view of God's mercy that he is also sending us his spirit, that our whole lives, our very life together would be transformed. And in that recognition, in that view of God's mercy on the cross and in the sending of the spirit, I invite us to pray that the Spirit would come and fill us and transform us. Let's pray. Take our lives and let them be a sweet, sweet offering to you, a living sacrifice. As we come together, that our comings and goings, our interactions with one another might overflow with your grace and your mercy, your gentleness and your peace, your love, the truth of who you are and how you call us to live. Guard our hearts, Lord. Change our hearts. 
we might be transformed through you, not to live for ourselves, but to live for one another and in so doing, worship you. May you make our whole lives an offering of worship. We know we can't do this on our own, so we do pray, Holy Spirit, come among us. Fill us. Cause us to overflow. That the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ might be clearly evident in all of our relationships with one another and with the world around us. This we pray, not so that our name may be made great, but that your name, Jesus, may be made known here in Hamilton and to the ends of the earth. Amen.